the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The 40-hour work week. For decades, it's been assumed the standard of our work lives, but is it time for a change? A new study into the four-day work week seems to suggest so, but what are the potential benefits and drawbacks of a shorter work week? We'll be speaking with experts in the field and exploring that new research coming out of an extensive study in the UK. That's next up on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by the Michigan School of Psychology and the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. The traditional 40-hour work week has been the norm in America for decades. But what if we told you that there might be a better way? In 1930, for example, the economist John Maynard Keynes speculated that the technological change we were experiencing and productivity improvements through America and the world would make a 15-hour work week an economic possibility within a couple of generations. And to see the technology we have right now, when I think back to careers I've had, including this one in the past, it would seem possible, as I'm far more efficient in my job, and perhaps you are as well, than those from back in the 1930s trying to do the same thing. Still, if you ask many in today's market, this seems like a pipe dream. By definition, it would seem that a person should accomplish more work in 40 hours than they could in 32. Well, a recent study by Four Day Week Global tested whether reducing the work week to just 32 hours while still paying employees the same amount could be beneficial both for workers and their employers. The vast majority of participants, both the employees and their employers, reported positive outcomes. To hear about this study when compared to some of our own instincts in America kind of has us wondering here at Detroit Today. Could a 32-hour work week lead to more engaged and satisfied employees, while also reducing burnout and turnover rates? Or would it be too difficult for companies to maintain profitability while paying employees the same amount for fewer hours of work? On today's show, we'll be diving deep into this topic of the 32-hour work week and exploring the potential benefits and downsides of this alternative work schedule. We'll be speaking with experts in the field, including a behavioral scientist who's been working and looking closely at the connection between the four-day work week and mental health outcomes for workers and their managers. But first, I'm joined by one of the researchers who helped conduct the four-day week global study and is at the heart of this discussion. Woon Fun is an associate professor in the Department of Sociology at Boston College. She's also been thinking a lot about this topic, and we are so glad she joins us now on Detroit Today. Professor Fan, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, sure. We want to dive into a little bit about the four-day week global study, which I know you worked on and conducted a lot of work with. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of the goals and objectives of the study that you were a researcher on? So 
as you already mentioned, this is really a global effort that was uh, led by uh, several organizations, uh, including 4-Day Week Global, which is an NGO that uh, initiated this effort. But we also have independent researchers from um, Boston College, where I am affiliated with, and um, uh, Cambridge and other uh, universities in other countries. So um, this um, uh, global effort, the goal is really to uh, initiate a, a set of um, trials involving um, companies from different industries, different countries. So uh, the trial uh, usually lasts six months uh, in duration. And uh, um, the first trial um, began in February 2022. And every two months since then, we have um, been collecting data from um, different um, companies. So, for example, the latest um, phase happened in March uh, this year, so just uh, the beginning of this year. Um, so uh, before the trial began, we collect data from uh, companies and from employees um, using um, fairly standardized uh, measures in social sciences to capture, for example, employees' job attitudes, their well-being, um, their um, turnover intentions, their family, personal lives, and so on. And we also collect uh, metrics from organizations, such as uh, revenue, their uh, personal and sick days, um, their resignation rates, uh, energy use, and so on. And uh, at the end of the trial, we conduct another um, phase of um, in the, uh, survey on data collection from our employees, such that we can compare um, pre- and post-trial the effects. And for organizations, every two months, uh, we ask them to provide the metrics I just mentioned um, until the end of the trial, such that we can do comparison uh, over time. That's great. And I want to kind of get into, before we get into what the results were, as I hear that they were not, you were looking at both the survey data from the employees, employers, as well as economic data and stuff that you could actually tangibly uh, measure. Can we get an idea of where the most recent study that you completed was conducted? Or you could tell us about all of them and across what industries they were to see if we were getting a global sampling. So um, the first um, phase of the trial happened in February last year, and it involved um, companies in Ireland and the U.S. And then uh, two months later, we have an April trial that is mostly U.S. and Canada um, companies. Um, and perhaps the biggest uh, one, and I think um, you already mentioned, is the one that happened in U.K., which um, began in June and ended in November on 2022. So this includes 61 um, companies. And uh, since then, we have um, companies in Australia, um, New Zealand, and some European countries. And so the latest uh, wave, which happened this month, um, involves um, companies in South Africa and France. Uh, so as you can see, this is truly a global uh, effort. And in terms of the uh, industries or the types of uh, organizations uh, covered in the um, trial, it, the great majority are those um, professional services companies or IT or telecoms um, companies, but we also have some um, organizations that are either a non-profit or they might be, um, you know, in manufacturing, uh, construction, or even a retail uh, food industries that are typically are uh, not that um you know, typical in, in the adoption of our new ways of working or alternative ways of working. And in your studies and your research, what were you able to find? What were some of the key findings that you uh, obtained from your work in this? Yeah, so this is, I think, the most exciting part, which is that, um, you know, as a social scientist, many times you test hypotheses and some of your hypotheses uh, fail, some 
might be uh, supported. But in this case, everything we expected to uh, happen happened, and it uh, happens in the um, expected direction. So what we find is that it's really on the 40-day week uh, work week is really a win-win uh, for employers and for employees. So for um, key metrics that organizations are interested in, such as revenue or resignation, new hires, and so on, it all um, improved over time. And for employees, the um, the results are even more uh, fascinating that they report greatly reduced burnout, uh, work-family conflict, and they report on great improvement in physical health, in mental health, uh, in life satisfaction, job satisfaction, um, in the, and they also see a greater amount of time uh, spent in sleep, um, in time spent with uh, family members, and so on. So um, basically, um, you know, every major um, well-being or job quality uh, measures see a great improvement um, over time. We're speaking with Wan Fan, an associate professor of sociology at Boston College and one of the researchers on a really interesting uh, group of studies that we're discussing right now with Four Day Week Global, looking at whether a 32-hour work week could be an alternative way of improving uh, productivity for workers as well as health for companies. Uh, right now here on 101.9 WDET. And we want to speak with you as well and get you involved in the conversation as you're listening here. Have you ever worked in a job that had a non-traditional work schedule, like a four-day work week? And what were your experiences if you had that? And for all of you out there listening, think of your current job. Do you think that a 32-hour work week with the same pay and benefits would be feasible in it? Let us know why or why not and how important work-life balance is for employee productivity and well-being in your mind. But I want to continue this conversation with you, Professor Finn, as you mentioned that uh, there were resignations and hires. I want to know specifically in terms of how this had an effect on that. Um, you're talking about turnover. Uh, was that something that employers told you was really helpful or they found beneficial in this study? So um, turnover, we um, capture that uh, in two ways. First is in employee survey, we ask them their intentions to leave, right? For example, thinking of the next three months, how likely are you going to leave? Um, based on self-reports, we actually don't see uh, much um, change over time um, for using our employee self-reports. But uh, using on the uh, metrics companies are provided. So remember that uh, on a monthly or bi-monthly um, basis, they provide us with how many people have actually um, quit. Uh, we see a slight um, decrease in resignation rates um, for companies as a whole. I think this is really um, fascinating because when you think about the global or the national trend at least, we are still in this um, great resignation um, era. So um, at a time when every other companies are struggling with um, how to, um, you know, keep their most talented workers um, in these uh, 40 work week trial companies, we see the exactly the opposite trend. So that is uh, really encouraging. Right, right. We're going to be bringing in another voice into this conversation fairly soon, specifically related to the University of Michigan uh, uh, Business School, uh, behavioral scientist. But before I bring in Professor Jeffrey Sanchez-Burks, I'd like to ask you one more question, Professor Finn, specifically on this most recent study, 
Because I've been thinking about uh, so many folks who think that there's no way you could possibly have the same type of efficiency if you're cutting down on worker uh, on the amount of hours people work in. Uh, did you find in terms of your study, were there any drawbacks or things that you heard from employers or uh, employees, but specifically employers, about how the 32 work week, uh, 32 day work week affected their productivity and their ability to do their uh, work? Yeah, um, I think this is a reasonable um, concern because um, uh, re- remember that this 40-week uh, model is the so-called 180-100 uh, model. So um, they are paid the same and they reduce their work hours by 20%. And they are still uh, expected to deliver 100% of the output. So the improvement, um, the productivity has to improve um, somehow. And in reality, we think that is um, possible. Um, uh, something that I forgot to mention is that this is not a trial that uh, companies are expected to just uh, jump in uh, directly and to you know, change overnight from 40 to 32 hours. But um, there is a preparation period that, that lasts um, two months. So during that time, companies are expected to go through a set of uh, workshops and um, training sessions and uh, um, also receive support from their um, peer organizations such that they could find a way to improve their um, productivity. And we found this is definitely possible because many um, reported that um, through you know, cutting down those unnecessary meetings or finding a way to avoid the distractions and so on, they don't have to spend the same amount of time um, working um, you know, to, to, to deliver the same uh, output. And in the uh, survey um, that we asked employees, um, this question about job intensity, right? So how fast do you need to work? Uh, how uh, intense uh, do you have to uh, work? Um, and uh, very um, excitingly, we do not find um, any change uh, from before to after the trial, suggesting that uh, workers do not feel this need to work more intensely in order to uh, get the same uh, job done. You know, it's plausible that might mean managers out there aren't doing the job, getting the efficiency out of their employees. But we'll talk about that a little bit later <laughs> on. I have one more question that I do want to uh, ask you before we allow our other guests to jump in on this conversation. And that's specifically in terms of the industries. You mentioned uh, that the majority were professional services and IT services. I feel like that's a different model than manufacturing, construction, or folks who work in terms of retail. Uh, in terms of those other more labor, hourly intensive, not as white collar jobs, if you will, the more blue collar jobs. Was there any difference in your findings? Um, did you, is this something that was feasible for them? What did you hear about specifically in terms of those more blue collar jobs? Yeah, this is a terrific question. It's also on one concern we had um, before the trial um, that uh, um, you know the the room for um, productivity to improve might be smaller in those um, companies such as um, manufacturing and construction jobs. And I should have mentioned that um, this is um, still a selective sample in that only companies that are willing to try this or they think they can succeed in this are included in the trial. So um, by no means are we uh, suggesting that um, the model can be successful in every uh, industry or every organization. But just based on the um, uh, organizations, the manufacturing service sector jobs that are included in our sample, we do find that um, they are also um, su- succeeding. And if anything, we um, we have done some uh, subgroup analysis, so separate by industry to see uh, who tends to benefit more from a reduction in work hours. 
and it is precisely those, um, you know, those so-called um, blue-collar um, jobs, um, manufacturing, construction, and um, so on, they tend to see the greatest reduction in work hours and also the greatest improvement in employee uh, well-being and the job quality um, metrics. Right. So, right. yeah. When we return here on Detroit Today, we are going to take a look at the mental health benefits and effects as we join or we bring in Jeffrey Sanchez Burks, a behavioral scientist from the professor or in a professor at the business uh, of business administration at the University of Michigan. We're going to bring him into the conversation and hear from you as Detroit Today continues on 1019 WDET. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Nick Austin here hanging out with you, talking about the potential of a four-day work week. Imagine that, only working 32 hours. Is it something that is feasible? We've been speaking with uh, Juan Fenn, an associate professor in the Department of Sociology at Boston College, who's been part of a study looking into it, showing that, uh, at least with her findings, that when you have companies who are interested in making it work, it can actually have some benefits. But we also want to take a look at the psychological impact as well as the business impact of these types of things. And I can't think of a better person to join us than Dr. Jeffrey Sanchez-Burks, a behavioral scientist at the uh, and a uh, professor of business administration at the Stephen M. Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. Professor Sanchez-Burks, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Nick. Thank you for having me on. I'm glad that you are here because uh, one of the things we've been talking about is the potential uh, mental health uh, effects that going to a reduced work week or work schedule uh, could have. So from your perspective and someone who's been looking at this, can you explain some of the psychological benefits that a shorter work week could have for employees? Yeah, and I think you set it up um, quite appropriately at the beginning is that it's not just um, productivity and then separately mental health. These two are combined. Yeah. It's, the results go that ahead. Uh, were just reviewed wonderfully. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. There seems to be a bit of a delay, but go ahead. The results um, that were, sorry, um, the results that were just shared wonderfully corroborate uh, the results of a study in Iceland a few years ago. And um, what you're finding is that bosses, organizations that are showing some empathy, recognizing humanity, um, are getting positive impacts. You can see perhaps a tight link between productivity and empathy, treating people more humanely. Gallup had some data showing that people who experienced stress, worry, or anger recently is skyrocketed. Microsoft has data showing that people are reflecting more carefully on whether putting in effort is, is worth it. Um, most that they're more productive at home and most bosses disagree. And so these experiments are just a tweak in modern day Taylorism of seeing how productive people can be, but a grand experiment on what happens when you show more empathy, uh, more concern for, for the human being. This work not in winter, work interface uh, melded over the last few years and has left a, a deep imprint on how people think about their lives, uh, what it means to be professional, uh, and so forth. And I think, you know, part of what's happening is the notion that work is a calling, um, that's problematic. Work as a calling is problematic for many when work is one important facet of their life. 
Uh, but it's only one facet of life. And so when people contribute to an organization and make lots of profits and then are let go when there's not, there's a sense that, well, you know, what this is sort of just needs to be taken into perspective and think about these things more holistically. So when organizations reciprocate and focus on people as human beings, um, it's wonderful to see this evidence that there are positive benefits all around. Yeah. Professor Sanchez Burks, I mean, when we're thinking about the holistic approach, right, if you help out someone's uh, health uh, and well-being, that that can actually have benefits, of course, to your productivity. You know, I imagine no one thinks working someone 100 hours a week would make any sense because they wouldn't be as good in their job. Um, And we think that there might be a little bit of a connection issue. So we're going to work on that uh, with you so that we can get you back into the conversation. But right now, I want to uh, I want to bring in Jackie from Beverly Hills. Jackie, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Yeah, I actually recently started a new job this January with a company, and it's fully remote, and it's a four-day work week. And I'm not sure I could ever go back to a normal five-day, 40 hours, so I thought I would just call in and and give my two cents. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you did because I've been wanting to hear from somebody who's had this luxury because it's not something I've ever experienced. So I don't know if it's just jealousy or anything along those lines. But can you tell us uh, what were some of the benefits as well as if there are any negatives? Yeah, I mean, for me, having an extra day to do normal life things and chores and get that all out of the way on a Friday um, has been really amazing. Obviously, I'm a little bit new. I started in January, but I heard that the company went through a lot of um, data. They did a trial. Um, Some of our team members do work on the support team, so they are available, you know, over the weekend. But their four-day work week is just a different amount of days, but it's still four days. Right, right. Do you have any any recommendations for people um, who might be thinking about implementing it that might make it go a little bit more smoothly from your experience? Um, I'm not sure as far as recommendations go. I mean, I know that the company did evaluate how many meetings were happening on a regular basis and wanted to kind of eliminate some of the meetings that may not have needed to happen. They they did a whole meeting evaluation because some of the meetings that were happening weren't maybe necessary every week. So they moved them to every four weeks or every six weeks. Um, so yeah, I think that was the biggest thing is creating time for people to have space to be able to do their work and not be stuck in meetings all day. Um, it is a tech company, so I think that's obviously a little bit different than if you're having to be somewhere in a building versus being able to work remote. Right, um, right. Yeah. Jackie, I really appreciate you bringing uh, up that point and calling in to give us a little bit of insight from doing that, because one of the things I think it forces us to do, as you mentioned, is take a look at how efficient we are being with our work. Uh, one of the things working remotely, you're saving time from being on the road. Another thing would be not having meetings that you don't need to have. And oh, my, how many of us have experienced going to meetings that I don't think mm-hmm. we needed to go to? But thanks so much, Jackie. As we bring back Professor Sanchez Burks, uh, you were discussing a little bit about um, some of the benefits that you've seen in terms of the studies. Uh, what about from the managerial side? A lot of times we look at it from the employer side. Are there benefits also to the managers or the people who are overseeing the work of their uh, employees? Most of the uh, folks that I work with are senior executives or director level, and they um, would wonderfully applaud fewer meetings, shorter meetings, more productive meetings. Um, It does seem as if uh, there is something fundamentally wrong with this notion of of having meetings as a way of uh, collaborating, communicating. And so, if anything, if you just reduced meetings, you probably get to this number of hours. Um, That alone, uh, there's a number of asynchronous tools to coordinate and collaborate. 
Um, companies have um, sometimes completely failed when they use cameras on during Zoom just for compliance measures uh, to see if people are there. You can buy a, a mouse tracker, a mouse a mover on Amazon to show your employer you're moving your mouse. And so rather than having meetings just as, as even a check-in and seeing if people are there isn't working. So I think part of this productivity uh, gain uh, by subtracting meetings could be key. And at the same time, as most people experience, also improves mental health. Yeah, yeah. 313-577-1019 to become part of the conversation. Again, 313-577-1019. We want to hear from people who have thoughts about the 32-hour work week. Uh, have you implemented it in your business? Do you think it's something that could be done feasibly? Or are you someone who's a little bit more skeptical and has questions about whether this could work out or not? Uh, Professor Finn, I want to bring you back into the conversation because we're talking about finding out ways to get more efficiency or, or, or ways that um, implementing this might improve efficiency. Uh, did you did your study let you know any ways, uh, what were the reasons people were able to become more efficient and maybe a little bit more profitable in some of these industries, even though there was reduced work? Yeah, so I think um, uh, some of these already mentioned by um, both um, Professor Sanchez Burks and also um, Jackie um, is that I think a meeting is really a big chunk of it. So that uh, when you think about the way we hold meetings, it's typically uh, like 30 minutes or one hour. But, just, you know, there is no way that, uh, you know, we just have to um, spend all the time, um, you know, talking through everything in uh, 30 minutes or one hour. So if a meeting can end in 42 minutes, then why, um, you know, not end there instead of um, extending it until uh, one hour? So meeting is definitely part of this. But also um, there is this um, destruction uh, issue that many times um, because just because the way our uh, workflow is or the work is uh, organized, um, some workers might be constantly being interrupted or um, distracted by their co-workers or some um, their, their bosses uh, even. So just by uh, eliminating these unnecessary uh, distractions, it could be, um, just uh, lead to a considerable uh, improvement in productivity. And also the communication styles, right? So sometimes um, people might prefer having a face-to-face -face conversation rather than through those constant um, emails or uh, endless um, emails. So that's another way that uh, productivity can, um, can go up. Um, so another thing I want to mention is that just by reducing uh, hours, um, people could feel more happy. They, um, their well-being increases. And if you are a happy worker, sometimes it also uh, means that you are a productive uh, worker, as uh, uh, Professor Sanchez and Brooks also just mentioned. Um, so um, even without anything else, perhaps just by being happy or being satisfied or be feeling supported, you, your um, productivity can go up um, somewhat. That's very good. And we are talking about the four-day work week, its potential, and how it might impact uh, work moving forward. If it's plausible, if we could implement it in other industries. And right now, we want to bring you into the conversation, starting off uh, this segment with Bernadette and Old Redford. Bernadette, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Good morning. Uh, my issue has been after more than 40 years of workplace experience that my employers or supervisors uh, saw us as just bodies. Oh, we need a body to slot into this place. You know, when you start <coughs> having that detachment from your employees as people who have family members, sick kids, 
uh, I think there would be more satisfaction and more loyalty if um, the employer was more sensitive. Here's an example. My primary care physician, 35 years old, has three kids. She wanted to reduce her hours um, to slightly less than 30. Uh, she went to the CEO of the organization who said, I need you to work more hours, not less. And so my physician, who spent all that time learning how to be a good doctor, quit because mm. her kids had to be her priority. Bernadette, it's a story that I have heard so many times, and I thank you for calling in with that perspective. I bring that to you, Professor Sanchez-Burks. You hear about the ideas of your body. We need a body here. We need to do that. And sometimes I wonder, you know, we're so good at measuring economic data. Uh, do we include the personal cost in that? What have you found in your studies and research based on what Bernadette brings to you with that question and comment? We have found um, amazing gains when leaders uh, approach the idea of leadership with a more immensely human component. Um, one of the things that came out earlier in this conversation was this idea that it's not a one size fit all, but companies who experiment with different approaches to this, um, that is a sort of sensitivity that matters where the boss doesn't say, okay, this is what we're going to do, but rather let's have some conversations um, is there ability to have flexibility within one organization, within one work group? You have to manage social comparisons, of course, but a attitude of sensitivity, as it was just put, um, empathy and experimentation and some humility that will get things wrong, uh, but it's not going to be set in stone. We'll keep um, working on this until we find something that we can settle in on for some time. We're going to continue this conversation, or no, we're continuing the conversation right now. I've got a comment from Big Neo on Twitter that says, the trick isn't to convince companies they'll make more money no matter what. The trick will be to convince regular folks of this idea. The biggest victory ever was the 1% getting regular folks to fight their battles for them. As long as overtime is still in play, I'm on board. Thanks, Big Neo on Twitter for that comment. As we move to the phone lines right now, we have Peter in Gross Point Park. Peter, go ahead. You're on to Detroit today. Hi, good morning. I just want to say that that last uh, email person had mentioned the overtime factor. I think that's significant because uh, that's what always made the difference between having a, a, a part-time job and a full-time job. But on the other hand, from the point of view of the employee, um, if they have, you know, whether or not they have all the same benefits, of course, that is very significant, but if they, whatever the case may be, uh, it gives them an opportunity. A lot of people just go ahead and get a second job, and it's not that they sit back and go, oh, I only have to work four days. It's a lot of people want the money, and so they're going to get actually another job. So it gives them more flexibility. Thank you. Peter, thank you, and I'm glad you brought up that perspective because that is one of the things we've been thinking about here on Detroit Today. For some, especially nowadays in this hustle culture, it seems as though – no matter what, people are constantly uh, filling up their extra time with ways of potentially making more money on the side and things like that that seems to be celebrated. Uh, we want to go to you, Professor Finn. Did you find anything about what people were doing with their extra time? Is there concern that uh, people would just use this extra time to work somewhere else and you'd have issues of moonlighting and so employers wouldn't be getting the benefit of actually providing more time to their employees? Yeah, uh, so thanks for the question. This is uh, really a great one. And I think uh, I, I just want to mention two points. 
So first, uh, in terms of the uh, proportion of employees who hold a second job, very surprisingly um, to us, actually um, the percentage didn't change at all uh, from beginning to end of the trial. So at baseline, we have about um, 25% of the employees who said that they have a second job. And at the end point, it's also about um, 24-25%. So in other words, um, there is no evidence at all, at least based on the sample we have, that um, people begin to take a second job. So um, this is actually a, a little um, you know, reassuring to many employ- employers because they don't want um, their employees to just uh, suddenly take up another job. So that's the first point I want to make. And the second point, in terms of how employees actually use the day off, so uh, we find that, again, this is, uh, I think, a very um, great news for us is that most of the employees spend uh, most of the time doing uh, either leisure or pursuing their hobbies or uh, spend time with their family members or um, they're doing um, care work or housework. So there is uh, very little evidence suggesting that um, people, um, you know, use the time to do either um, to work either on, on either their main job or second, uh, secondary job. So yeah. that's... Um, that's good. Yeah, that is good. I think it was a plan my mom had for a little Nick growing up in Detroit. She said, if uh, if I just put him in every activity ever, he can't get involved with anything negative. Kind of like an employer who's like, hey, you can't, ha- we're taking up all your hours, so you can't moonlight and give them to somebody else. But right now, I want to get to another call, which we have Abigail in Plymouth. Abigail, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hey, thanks. Yeah. Um, it's just these conversations are kind of funny to me. I'm a nurse. I've been working three days a week for my entire career. And um, people who work in healthcare know that we can have uh, very intense, long hours and get all the work done that a full-time employee does in, in three or four days. Um, and I just, having kids, I can't imagine giving up that flexibility to work, um, be someplace five days a week, nine to five. Abigail, I'm glad you called up because I do have uh, questions about that. And if I could gently push here, because I've known some doctors and I know they brag about the fact they have three day work week, they get to go out and golf, but they're still packing in a lot of hours there. Uh, might not be the same for nurses. I know about them working 10, 12, 14, 16 hour shifts, sleeping there to catch some Z's. So they still obviously need to get work if there's cots there. Is that an efficient model? Because we're talking a little bit more about maybe reducing hours as opposed to just reducing the number of days worked. What do you see in your interaction in the medical field with that? Um, you know, I, I, I can't speak for everyone. I just, for myself, I've done the five days a week thing, nine to five. And after my two days off, I just feel like I'm barely catching my breath and you have to go right back into it. It felt like all I was ever doing was work. And when I work three or four days a week, it it doesn't feel like that. It feels like there's more balance in my life and I'm more present in my kids' lives and more able to do things. I just just would never go back to to the nine-to-five Monday through Friday. Yeah, I really appreciate the call and the perspective, Abigail and Plymouth. Again, uh, hearing from another field, someone who's got boots on the grounds working in the medical profession. And I want to present her comment to you, Professor Sanchez Burks. Uh, what do we find in terms of people after they go and experience it? Do they ever want to go back? And we are looking at other fields like medicine, where you kind of have to be there and be present. Uh, what do we know in terms of efficiencies when it comes to those types of professions? 
I saw a comedian who said after the remote control was invented for the TV, people didn't go back to the TV to change the channel. Uh, <laughs> there is a, a sense that uh, <laughs> there's a sense that people who have experienced a certain um, gain. Uh, it's very difficult to go back, especially lacking a clear rationale. And the data being accumulated now is bolstering the sense that it's unnecessary to just push towards a pre-2020 approach to work, that it needs to be reimagined, that there's an opportunity to not only have the flexibility to spend your personal time as you wish, there's people who need a second job and need the flexibility to do that. There's other aspects of life people want to attend to. Um, and yet still be able to get the, the work done, the work that's needed to be done. The discrepancy between how productive people think they are and how productive their bosses think they are suggests that there's a lot of fuzziness in the KPIs, the, the, the uh, metrics that are used to measure productivity. And so it's not even clear how um, precise those are when you're in fields where you're not measuring, um, you know, you're not producing widgets. In healthcare, for example, you can get patients who are more satisfied with their doctor visit when the doctor sits down versus stands up. Yeah. Um, and so measures of productivity vary on these things. So I guess the, the punchline here is that people have very good memories of now and the last few years. It'll be very difficult to try to erase that memory. 313-577-1019 is the phone number to get involved with the conversation. Again, that's 313-577-1019. When we return, we are going to get to your calls, including Gloria in Southwest Detroit, and continue this wonderful conversation we're having with Professor Fan and Professor Sanchez-Burks about the 32-hour work week. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. It's Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, where the world is yours. And I am Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. We've got a great conversation happening right now as we're talking with Professor Wen Fan, an associate professor of sociology at Boston College, and behavioral scientist and professor of business administration, Jeffrey Sanchez-Burks of the University of Michigan, talking about the four-day work week, 32 hours a week, if we can gain more efficiencies from that and uh, how that works out for people who have tried it here in the U.S. and throughout the world. Got a comment on Twitter from Tin Lizzie saying, I would take the first job that offered a four-day work week. So if you're looking for somebody to work for you right now, check out Tin Lizzie on Twitter and you might have yourself a new employee. Professor Finn, um, right now, do we know what percentage of companies, businesses in the U.S. actually use a four-day work week or 32 hours a day or 32 hours a week, I should say? Uh, actually, yeah, I don't have the number um, because I don't think uh, we have such data to, um, to to have the number. Um, but I assume this is, must be a very small um, percentage at this point. Yeah, I would think so as well. Uh, and, and another question I just have for data, we might not have it, but one of the things we're talking about is the people who have implemented uh, the four-day work week have enjoyed it, but they've also been, as we've mentioned, 
employers who wanted to participate in it. Uh, in terms of efficiencies from companies that have implemented it versus those who are just against implementing it across industries, do we have any study of how efficient one is versus the other as opposed to a company versus itself? Uh yeah. Um, would, would you mind um, giving yeah. more insight? Yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure that if, if we're comparing how a company was efficient before it implemented a 32-hour uh, work week versus after, as opposed to companies across industries in terms of efficiency, like just because a company that implemented it and decided to became more efficient wouldn't necessarily mean that companies that don't implement it and just try to work their employees to the bone aren't more efficient. I just didn't know if we have that kind of data or if those kind of studies have happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's a, a terrific question because I should have mentioned that, um, you know, we don't really have a control group here. Um, so we're only observing on companies who are going through the trial, what happened uh, after the trial. So in other words, we don't really have um, have any data about what would have happened um, if they um, didn't go through um, the trial. So we are just um, taking the before and after, um, you know, key metrics to see um, what, how these um, metrics have um, changed um, over time. So um, based on those um, metrics, um, efficiency definitely uh, increased because their um, time spent um, reduced and the, they get the same uh, output. And in many times, their revenue uh, even increased um, somewhat, so suggesting that um, their uh, efficiency has increased. So we haven't done much um, analysis uh, separated by industry, for example, or sector to see uh, whether this um, average or aggregated results uh, hold in every uh, single industry. But this is something that we, we will do uh, in the future. Very good. We're going to the phone lines right now. Deborah and Ham Tramick, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Oh, my God. Yes. Deborah Funkley. Go ahead, Deborah. Um, I'm trying to get out of this door. Oh, that's fair. Well, okay. if you need me to put you back on hold, I can go to another call. And no, take I can do up. it. All um, right, go ahead. I worked, at, I worked at the University of Michigan for too long, and I retired in dining services. And let me tell you, this is very encouraging to have a, a four-day work week, especially when it came to management, because we're putting in 12 to 14 hours anyway. Mm. So instead of working six days a week at 12 hours a day, it would limit us to five days a week. So encouraging to have a 32-day work week is what I'm saying, especially in dining services management. I appreciate the insight. Management, uh, dining services, boots on the ground. Uh, we really appreciate it. And keeping our college kids fed, because my mom said I went through too much food when I was in college. So you guys are very important to us. So I appreciate that, Deborah and Hamtramck. As we want to get some more calls in, Sarah, no, that's not your real name, but go ahead from Ann Arbor. You're on Detroit Today. So hi, I'm in uh, the information space. Thanks for taking the call and technology. And just wanted to share an experience. We're uh, three years kind of working remotely now since the pandemic and everyone's kind of made adjustments uh, and, and continue to plug on and kind of promote the company. And recently um, the company's decided that we'll return to work. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a two or three day thing, but it's also kind of mandatory for anyone who lives near one of the locations. So it's just a big adjustment and thinking about the balance of life, you know, work-life work balance and also the human element versus, well, we need to create a culture and we need everyone in the office, and that's that. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of a jarring um, adjustment after going through a pandemic and having many jarring adjustments along the way. 
from that perspective as well. So thanks for thanks for this topic. Yeah, I thank you for uh, bringing that up as well. A lot of perspectives that we've been thinking about with management. I remember back at the office, you know, one of the things I like doing, even here at Detroit Today, going around bouncing off topics of people, uh, thinking about stuff not only for work, but well, mostly for work, actually. But really having someone that I could just jump in and start talking about something with, I thought really helped me. Uh, go over ideas more and, and put that information out. So I want to bring that perspective of remote work to you, Professor Sanchez-Burks. Uh, what are you finding from the managers you speak with about you know the desire to get people back into the same groups and back in the same room so that they can cultivate ideas together and efficiencies there versus trying to do it on Slack or something like that? Uh, how does that impact our thoughts about uh, reduced work week? They um, have the same exact hypotheses uh, you just stated that uh, we'll be more creative, we'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. Um, I say hypotheses because they haven't really experimented whether uh, it's it's true or not. Um, The remote work is tricky. We're finding that people will use cameras as sort of attendance keepers. Um, We're finding that when people are more intentional about say, gathering people for meetings and having cameras off when they can focus on some things and cameras on in other times uh, makes a big difference. Uh, My colleague Sherry Alexander and I really sort of dealt with a lot of this in this Coursera class we have on uh, engagement and emotional intelligence. And what we're finding is some really amazing, powerful effects leaders can have when they stay attuned to others in a remote environment. They're able to capture this very close connection with people, even when they're um, not necessarily together. For example, one of um, the executives we worked with listened for clues about what people cared about. One was talking about missing time in Australia. And so they did a little Google research and found out the most beloved chocolate there are Tim Tams. And so when this person hit some key milestone, sent a box of Tim Tams. Not an expensive uh, gesture, but so meaningful. Yeah. And so rather than stick with the one hypothesis that being in person is the key to those connections, Leaders who are showing more compassion and more empathy and experimenting with different ways to deploy that are seeing big effects. You know, Professor Sanchez-Burks, I do want to spin off of that because it's something I've been thinking about throughout this conversation. A point you brought up is just how management, management's effect on this, being more uh, thoughtful in ways that we react as managers in, in this other way is Perhaps what we're finding through studies like this, not so much that the 32-hour work week is actually improving efficiency, but it's just been a failure of management. Management's been doing things such a certain way or looking at so many metrics that it's not so much that the 32-hour work week is better, but it's forcing managers to be better at their jobs, and that's actually what's improving the efficiency. I agree. That's my intuition. Um, I do want to put out a shout out to all the managers and leaders who are now being asked to be mental health professionals and bear the load of that while they have uh, complicated lives as well. So we're all in this together. And yet, uh, what was the old expression? We were kind of in the same storm in different boats. Mm. Um, So I don't want to pick on just one side of the equation. Certainly, certainly. And uh, I understand that and appreciate that perspective as we move now to Teresa in Beverly Hills. Go ahead, Teresa. You're on Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you for addressing this issue. I'm a recently retired teacher in the city of Detroit, and I never worked a 40-hour work week. I mean, if you're going to do the job right, there's you're every night and weekends you are, you know, looking at work children did to see if they got the concept or not. You're creating lesson plans. You're 
working individually. And of course, that was it. What was interrupted in the pandemic was that um, was that people lost sight of because we were working remotely. People lost sight of the fact that children learn through relationship with their teacher. So if you go to a four-day work week, you're, we would I could see great advantages to it. However, you know that the class size would have to be reduced to almost half of the standard, or in a, a, a better solution, I feel that they could actually, uh, you know, put two teachers in a classroom, which some private schools do, whereas one person is the assistant and one's a head educated ed, uh, lead teacher. However, um, I don't, you know, education, the, the education of our children is our future. So yeah. I would, I think that it would have to be really be considered to, um, you know, to just implement that. And, and uh, I also have one other um, one other thought about reducing meetings, sometimes, um, you know, we have too much time in meetings, but what's going to happen instead is that will be, it will be, they will send out emails that you'll have to spend time, you know, mm. hashing through. And that's going to cut in some places that will take more time because then you have questions and someone has to answer those questions yeah. anyway. Yeah. And often it's a lot less time if you're if you're educating everybody at the same time. So I I know there are there's an overuse of meetings in a corporate America. I used to work in there, but I also think that there are advantages yeah. yeah. Teresa, thank you for your service as a Detroit school teacher and the pushback there, as uh, I do think that you bring up some good perspectives. And I want to make sure we get to one more caller, as I do have uh, this caller on the line. That's Gloria in Southwest Detroit. Go ahead. You're on Detroit today. You got about a minute. Okay. Thank you, Nick. Um, um, it just happens that I'm starting to read a book called Beloved Economies, Transforming How We Work by Jess Remington and Joanna Sia, CEA. And the whole thing about beloved economies is to connect it with the beloved community. And they speak, and they've had a lot of research. And so I'll just mention very briefly the seven principles uh, that they've studied and they share in the book. Shared decision-making, prioritizing relationships, reckoning with history, seek differences, source from multiple ways of knowing, Trust that there is time and prototype early and often. It's mm. really an interesting book that goes beyond efficiency yeah, and yeah. beyond the model, the industrial model that we have for yeah. work that just exploits, in many instances, the Glo worker. Gloria in Southwest Detroit, I appreciate that perspective. Relationships are so important. I want to make sure to get in our guests, though, right before we close out. Got about 30 seconds, Professor Fenn. Is there anything that you want to make sure that we touch that we didn't quite get to touch or you just want to put a point on for this conversation? Yeah, so uh, I think a relationship, as you said, is uh, extremely important. Um, we did have a question in the employee survey asking how their relationship with their employee other co-workers or bosses have changed over time, and uh, we didn't really find a deterioration in relationship quality, um, you know, because of the trial. So that's uh, really uh, reassuring. So um, I just want to mention that a relationship can take different forms. It doesn't have to be with your co-workers, and many times co-workers can be a source of stress for many young people. So, um, and another thing is that I think the education uh, industry is very uh, special. 
So uh, we don't have any schools um, included, um, you know, who have um, that have um, participated in the trial. So we don't really know what would happen in those for schools, teachers, and so on. So this is definitely something we need to um, continue um, studying in the future. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today on Detroit Today. Professor Sanchez Burks, thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And Professor Fan, also, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Definitely. Tune in tomorrow when we're going to be taking a look at how we can shape our downtowns and whether adding more residential housing to these areas would be a best or better practice. You're listening to 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Stephen, we'll see you tomorrow.